All right, well, we are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. We've made our way as far as verse 16. Let's pick it up from there and we'll read it together. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mothers and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus, in our last time together, gave the parable, the first of many parables that he used to teach the crowds for the specific purposes of revealing to those who wanted more, concealing from those who had predetermined to disregard and to reject everything that he had to say and who he was. But in the parable of the sower, he reveals to his listeners the four conditions of an individual human heart, showing that the gospel responds to the soil in which it is planted within. One of those being hardened, another one of those being shallow, a third uh, being uh, thorny, and the last being of good soil. Luke now continues by following that parable with this, what is considered not so much a parable, but what's called a proverbial or proverbial statement. It's a teaching in which Jesus uses and illustrates his teaching by using everyday items in a proverb form for them to easily remember uh, concerning what they have just been taught and the necessity of number one, being careful of what they hear and how they hear it, and number two, understanding that what they hear is going to require them to respond in a degree of responsibility. He is stating here that the light that is a common element within their society but played a much larger role in their society than it does in our society today. Now, what do I mean by that? Of course, light was not produced by street lights and by other artificial means as we produce light today. All light was natural in the sense that it was fire-based at that time. And light was a commodity that people cherished dearly. I don't know if you've ever been in the desert at nighttime, but if there isn't a full moon, or if it happens to be clouded over, it can be one of the darkest experiences that you'll ever have. You sometimes really can't even see your hand in front of your face. And yet, often when you're in that position, when there is a single light source of any distance... You can see it and it can be a guide and a draw to you to help you find your way along the way in the middle of that darkness. Light was a treasured commodity at that time. 
And Jesus is stating here, and Luke uses this in a unique way, the same way that Mark uses this phrase, but Matthew um, uses it in a little different means. Matthew uses this phrase to show and to demonstrate that we are the lights that are continuing on the ministry that Jesus has started here on this earth. But Mark and Luke's account in the context in which the phrase is given, have a different meaning to what and to and more specifically why they are writing it here at this particular time within their letter. Jesus Christ tells us very clearly that he is the light of the world. Now what does that mean? Well, first of all, to contrast the darkness that the world is in, Jesus classifies himself as the light. After the fall of man, from the very beginning, the world was plunged into spiritual darkness. The dominion that man had over this world was then forfeited to the devil himself, Satan himself, and this is why you have the Uh, interaction between Jesus and the devil at the point of temptation concerning the rule of this world. Paul makes it clear that the ruler of this world is Satan himself. This world, because of sin, was plunged into spiritual darkness. Though we have physical light from the sun, we have physical light through um, from fire, we have uh, physical light uh, through the sources that we have created. We are blind spiritually. Not only is the world plunged in utter darkness, but Paul goes on to tell us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that our minds have been blinded also by the rulers of this world. And so the picture that we have is that individuals apart from Christ wander in darkness, and not only is the spiritual darkness around them, but therefore they are also blindfolded amongst that spiritual darkness. So you can't get any further blind than that. When Jesus came, he announced to all of the world that he is the light of the world, that through him, the perfect revelation of God the Father could be found. And he also equated his teachings with light to the world. For his teachings were revealing of the will of God for his creation through the teachings of Jesus Christ. So that light, that knowledge became illuminary and therefore people saw through that light what God wanted and intended for them. And now we come to this point where Jesus now has shown us the quality of the hearts of the individuals that were listening to his teaching. Now he holds the recipient of those, that information accountable for what they have received. By demonstrating here three factors. Number one, that there is light. Number two, that all secrets will be revealed. And number three, there's a point of accountability. But let us understand that listening is an art. Listening is an art. I hope that each one of you has a friend that you can consider a good friend simply because they listen intently to what you have to say. I think it is a privilege to have a friend of that sort. Someone who is willing to sit with you and just allow you to 
uh, voice or to vent or to uh, articulate the concerns or the cares and the worries that you may have on your heart and mind. And they are just willing to listen to you. And you know that they are an avid listener because of the fact that sometime later that they will come back to you and say, hey, how are you doing with that concern or that care? And you look at them, oh, that was months ago. I'm surprised you remembered that. But because they are a caring listener to what you have to say, they did remember that and hopefully as a brother or sister in Christ took that to the Lord in prayer for you. I hope in your marriages, those of you who are married, have a spouse that really listens to you. I'm grateful. I have a spouse like that who listens to me. And because she listens to me, I reciprocate by listening to her also. And I'm talking about listening. I'm talking about not rushing to fix what the problem that she is sharing, but simply listening to what she has to say. Allowing her to articulate everything that's on her heart and mind, because often it is through that articulation, it is through airing that vocally, that sometimes you resolve the issue for yourself. But one of the strengths and the consistencies of my marriage happens to be the fact that I believe that both of us listen to one another very carefully and take that to the Lord in prayer. Listening, like I state, is an art. Because unfortunately, we also have those friends that aren't so good at listening. And, you know, you start sharing, the, you know, they ask you, you know, oh, how's it going? How, how's, how's your life going? You know, and you start sharing with them. And you get out a sentence and they're like, oh, yeah, I know I had that same thing happen to me. Oh, let me tell you all about it. And they just cut you off. Or you have one of those individuals that as you are progressing in your conversation, you just see them fidgeting because they're just waiting for you to take a breath so that they can start talking. Do you have a friend like that? I do, unfortunately. And yet, they really aren't considering listening to you, but they want you to listen to them. And in our culture today, I think that listening has become a lost art in many ways. The reason I say that is because this proverb in which Jesus speaks has to do with listening and truly comprehending and understanding what is being said and therefore applying it properly and living it out as a believer in Jesus Christ. Many of you may have read through the Gospel of Luke in your own personal life and have read through these verses very quickly and gave them little to no attention because, well, this is just another one of those sayings of Jesus and I'm not really sure how it applies to my life. So I'll I'll just continue to move on. And oh, Jesus deals with the storm next and that's very interesting to me. So I will just kind of move quickly through this portion and therefore get to the portion that's more interesting to me. And that highlights perfectly the warning in which Jesus gives us here in our text. I've come to the conclusion that after 30 years of studying the Word of God, that if God says something, it's important, regardless of what it is. 
Now, often I don't understand maybe the passage or the uh, verse in which God is giving me, and I put it in a file, more information needed. And then as I grow in my Christian walk, I revisit that file from time to time and realize that God often clarifies that which I missed initially, just going through the word further, showing me more clearly those things that I don't fully understand initially. But God says that there is a responsibility to listen to what he has to say. Because we are going to be held accountable for the information that God has given us. We are going to be held responsible and accountable for the degree of revelation that we have uh, come to through his word and be responsible before him for that information. And that's what he's getting at here in our text this morning. Now, Jesus knows that in the crowds in which he is speaking to, there are many different people in many different places in life. And I wrote down six different items that may uh, hinder a person from listening the way God would have them to listen. And when I talk about listening, it's not just hearing the words but hearing the words and understanding what is meant by them. Even if it isn't initially understanding, putting them back into the file of more information needed and then revisiting them later is important to Jesus. Jesus knew that his disciples were not going to fully understand everything that he had to say in those brief three years that he was with them. He knew that the coming of the Holy Spirit would enlighten them further to everything that Jesus had said during his earthly ministry. So it's not a disadvantage to say that, oh, I don't fully understand what God means here, but allow God the opportunity to meet that need by further showing you what he has in mind concerning that subject. Now, one of the things that I noticed reading the Gospels is that the religious leaders, they were in a position of predetermined uh, rejection where they were going to reject anything and everything that Jesus was going to say. Now, if you enter into a conversation or enter into the Word of God with that type of mindset and heart, you are not going to be one who's going to listen to what God has to say. Others around him didn't fully understand the vocabulary in which was being used, either by the religious leaders or by Jesus. And this is another reason he went to parables, to allow the laity uh, to understand the teachings of the kingdom of God more thoroughly from their uh, point of education, from their point of view, allowing them to jump on board and to be instructed and uh, you know, uh, illuminated in the sense of uh, learning about the kingdom of God and so forth and what is to come. You know, one who uses a vocabulary that is unknown to the other can often be a hindrance in our communication. On Sunday mornings and on Wednesday, it'd be easy for me to get up here and just to spout all kinds of theological terms but unless you have an idea what those theological terms mean, they're not going to benefit you in any way, shape, or form. 
My job here is not to expound on what I know, but it's to help you grow in what you know. Now, I'll never dumb it down, and when those theological words are appropriate to use, I will certainly use them with an explanation attached to them to help everyone understand what they mean. But a vocabulary can keep us from understanding. I noticed that many in the crowds were distracted. They were looking all over. They were looking at the religious leaders and Jesus to see if they would go head-to-head at any moment in time. They were watching and wondering what other people were thinking and doing around them. So being distracted kept them from hearing and truly understanding what Jesus had to say. There were those in the crowd that were also indifferent They were looking to Jesus to provide for them an escape from the Roman oppression. So anything concerning the kingdom of God, apart from his rallying them to uh, rise against the Roman oppression, really didn't interest them. And so they just kind of turned off the channel until he came to something that they were interested in. There were those who came to Jesus for entertainment purposes. Let's see who he heals today. Let's see who he raises from the dead today. Let's see what miracle he performs in the feeding of the 5,000, etc. And so they were simply waiting for the next miracle. And therefore, in between those miracles, when Jesus began to speak, they would often turn him off or leave altogether. They weren't very interested in hearing what he had to say. And lastly, there were those in the crowd who were simply listening to gain information so that they could further criticize and denounce who he was. Now, all of those can play a role in our listening and understanding today. Maybe there's something else that prohibits you from hearing and understanding the Word of God. But Jesus reveals to us this morning that he wants us to know that he himself is a light unto this world and his teaching is a light unto this world to allow people to discover and to know the way to salvation. As he begins here in verse 16, he says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. So the light here, he is referring to the knowledge in which he has just depart, you know, imparted to the people. Now, what are you going to do with it? Well, if it's a light unto the world, the last thing you would do with a light is you would put a jar over it. If you put a candle underneath a jar and seal it from oxygen, what eventually happens to the candle? It goes out. It suffocates. You're not going to put something over this information to suffocate it out so it has no effect on anyone around you, or more importantly, you yourself. But yet, that's exactly what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 when he says that individuals suppress the knowledge of God with unrighteousness. They snuffed it out. Putting it under a bed, well... There are some things that are still the same today. The old adage, out of sight, out of mind. I remember being young and my dad always saying, you know, before you do anything today, you need to go and clean your room. 
So my idea of cleaning my room and his idea of cleaning my room were two different things. His idea was to pick up everything, clean up my room, and to organize my room properly. My idea was to shove everything under the bed and into the closet. Out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, my dad says, listen, we need a walkway between the door and your bed. Well, you don't tell a kid that because that's exactly what you're going to get. So I made a walkway from the door to the bed, and it was. It was perfect. You could see that little six-inch portion of carpet from the door to the bed. Jesus says, you're not going to take the information, the light that you have, and put it under the bed, so it's of no mind that you just disregard it. Light would never be used in that culture in that way. Because the light was a valued resource. It showed people the way. It gave people hope that there was something in which they could reach. And if you were out in the middle of the desert, surrounded by darkness, and then you saw a light from afar, you could know that your life wasn't in jeopardy, that there was help and refuge not far from you. And so it would bring hope and encouragement to that individual. When villages were created, they were often created on the sides of mountains to allow travelers to see them from far distances so they could use them as points of navigation as they walked and journeyed through the dark desert. Jesus says, you're not going to take the information that I give you that proclaims the kingdom of God in this dark world to hearts that have been darkened by the ruler of this world and hide it away or snuff it out. For Jesus said himself in John 1, 4-5, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so Jesus says, if this light that I have introduced, that I have brought in and through the ministry that I am embarking on, Coming from heaven down to you, you yourself shall not shut up this light or hide it away in any way, shape, or form. But even when we come to John 3.16, he gives us a warning. Though God sent his Son into this world that whosoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life, and that God did not send his Son into this world to condemn the world, But in order that the world might be saved through him, and whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, John writes. The light has come into the world, and the people loved darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil." And so individuals, when exposed to the light, realized that they were not the uh, righteous individuals that they thought they were before God. And therefore, because they love the things of this world, the pleasures of this world, and sin rather than righteousness, they avoided the light altogether. Later in John's Gospel, he goes on to further say, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. 
And John continues this contrast and illustration in John 12, 35 and 36. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. And the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he had departed and hidden himself from them. But later on in verse 46 of that same chapter, Jesus says, I have come into this world as a light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And of course, the first century Christian knew this to be a reality when Paul wrote in Colossians 1.13. He says, he, that is Jesus, has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. This world in which we live is plunged in spiritual darkness due to the fall of man. In and amongst this darkness, those same individuals who are apart from Jesus Christ have been blinded, their mind has been blinded by this ruler of this world to the reality of the gospel. This is why salvation is a supernatural product of God. To open the eyes and the hearts of the individual to the truth of the gospel and to respond. But I believe that each and every individual who hears the gospel who sees and understands the gospel through the word of God is capable of responding positively to the gospel of Jesus Christ. From the very beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke made it known to Theophilus that Jesus was a light in this world. Now I want you to think of it in this manner. As individuals walk about in the darkness of this world, as they are blinded by, and their minds are blinded by the ruler of this world, the light of Christ is that which can penetrate both of those darknesses and allow them to come to saving faith in and through Him. This is why it's so important that everything be about Jesus. Because it is He and only He that has this capability. Now, we as His church have been given the Spirit of God and now have become the reflection of that light onto this dark world. And God is looking for you and I to become ambassadors, living epistles, written letters to this world of what God is capable of doing. And in the same manner in which God saved us, He can save them also. And let me say it to you. Now, this is... This is going to be a little difficult for some of you to accept, maybe. But please understand that you may be the only Bible that people read. And as a result, you carry a large responsibility in your Christian life. The moment you say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you now set yourself as a standard, a light in the darkness. And people will read your life. And sometimes that reading journey takes decades. It is not something that they are simply going to evaluate uh, over a short period of time in the days in which we live. Today we live in a period of time that they want to see the authenticity, not by minutes and hours and days and even weeks, but months, years, and decades. 
They want to see that it is a reality, that it is truly true within your life. Now, I know that's an overwhelming responsibility to consider. But understand that God has given you His Word and has empowered you through His Spirit to live out His Word, to do just that, to be just that to this world. Living that personally in my own life, with my parents, and seeing the the manner in which they came to saving faith. It wasn't overnight, but it was over decades that it occurred. I'm so thankful that God gave them the grace to wait that long. But this is what Jesus is referring to, this light. Now this light, an individual will put on a stand... It is a lampstand. It's the most prominent object within the house. It often was in the center of the home or in a prominent place within the home that would allow for the light to illuminate the entire interior of that home so that those who enter may see the light. There's the purpose. I don't know about you, but, um, you know, we made the conscious decision to purchase a dog 12 years ago and we purchased a black dog and you know wonderful dog I love her to death but as time went on and she's 12 now and I'm uh, 14 no um, 51 and my glasses have changed in prescription over the years and so forth You know, a black dog in a dark room without glasses is a health hazard to anyone. You know, and you just don't know where she is at any given time. And she's now in that stage of her life where she, well, frankly, she's not going to move for anyone. She looks to you and saying, listen, it's going to be easier for you to step over than for me to get up and move, okay? And this dog loves me and likes to lay right at the side of my bed each and every night. And so anything that happens, if I have to get up in a, you know, in, in a hurry or in a, in a moment's time, I have to be careful that I don't step on the dog, you know, then fall over, killing the dog and myself all at one time. But the moment you turn the light on, you can see everything in the room clearly. It's a very scary situation to be in a place where you don't know the landscape and to be in utter darkness. Have you ever been in a situation like that? I have, and it's not fun. You have a tendency to hurt your way and hurt yourself in a multiplicity of different ways. But the revelation of the room becomes apparent when the light goes on. And if you still stumble over the fixtures of that room with the light on, then it's your problem and not the darkness. However, though, the light helps you guide yourself adequately through the room so you can avoid those obstacles and, of course, pitfalls that you may otherwise fall within. That's what Jesus is saying here. That my teaching will not only reveal your own heart, but will illuminate your sight 
to help you to avoid the pitfalls that the individuals of this world fall into because now you're seeing things through the lens of Scripture, through the Word of God, and now you can make a much better informed decision on how you personally will proceed through this life. And therefore, Jesus says, this light, this information, this knowledge must be not only for you, but all who are around you that they may benefit from it. That's what he is saying through these words here. But notice what he says next. And this is where it becomes a point of concern. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. He is stating here that this revelation of knowledge, if received, will lead to salvation and eternal life. If rejected, this same revelation, this same knowledge, will become the revelation and knowledge by which you personally will be judged by. Your rejection of the person of Jesus Christ and his teachings. These same person, this same teacher teaching will go from your salvation to your judgment. And again, John tells us very clearly that the Father judges no one but all but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And notice what John says a little bit further in John 9.39. Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be blinded. Now he's speaking of the religious leaders. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, Well, if you were blind, you would would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. The religious leaders felt that their adherence to the law merited them their personal righteousness before God and therefore were of no need of the salvation in which Jesus Christ provided. And because the religious leaders felt that their self-righteousness was sufficient before God the Father, they were actually blind to the true revelation of what Jesus was, that is their Savior. Now there are many people today that still believe that they are good enough individually to enter into the kingdom of heaven apart from Jesus Christ. And when you discuss Jesus with them, they often say, I have no need for that. And due to their association with a certain denomination, or due to the fact that they were baptized at at the point when they were a child, or due to the fact that they uh, attend a church semi-annually, or they give a little bit to the church annually, that they are in no need of a Savior they are then blinded to the reality of what Jesus came in this world to do. See, no one in and of themselves can merit enough righteousness before God the Father to enter into the kingdom of God. You can't do it. That's the whole purpose for which Jesus came. 
And what we could not do in and of ourselves, Jesus Christ did perfectly for us through the cross and in his resurrection from the dead. And this is so important to see. Jesus actually called them blind, though they thought they could see. Their self-righteousness blinded them to the true reality of who Jesus was. Please don't allow that to happen to you. In John 12, 48, notice that John continues this thought when he states, The one who rejects me does not receive my words as a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. And this is what verse 17 of our text means. That this same word that could have been a mean of salvation will now become a means of judgment in the hand of the Father before that individual. Revelation 20 tells us clearly that in that day, all will stand before Jesus Christ. The books will be opened and all who are not found in the book of life will then be sought through a secondary set of books where every word, deed, thought, etc. is recorded, including apparently the number of times they rejected, according to this passage, the gospel itself. And therefore, the righteousness of Jesus Christ in what he had done in and through his life, through his crucifixion and resurrection, he now becomes their judge rather than their savior. And this is a position that none of us want to find ourselves in. This is the point in time where Paul says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the revelation of the light of who he is will either be our Savior or our judge in the last day. Which leads us to verse 18. He says here, now take care then how you hear. For the one who has more, who has, excuse me, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. What does this mean? The Bible clearly seems to teach that those who are hungry for God and are seeking him through his word he will reveal himself more to than those who have rejected him and even what knowledge they do have will be suppressed in their personal unrighteousness. Meaning that God says that if you seek me diligently and are open to hear what I have to say, of course through his word, I will reveal myself more deeply to you. I'll allow you to get as close to me as you desire to get to me through Christ, through my word. And I'll show you myself in and through the word that you may have a pure understanding of who I am. That those who have, more will be given to. Mark makes it abundantly clear. If you look with me in Mark's uh, gospel, chapter 4, verse 24. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 24. And he said to them, and this is the same instruction that we've had in Luke's Gospel, 
in verses 21 through 23. Then he goes on, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Undoubtedly, he was speaking now to the disciples who wanted to know who Jesus was, who wanted to follow him and devote their life to following him. Encouraging them, saying, listen, the mysteries of God now have been revealed through me. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Their one request was to see the Father over and over again. They asked, see, let us see the Father. And Jesus encouraged them, says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want to know God so intimately in my personal life that the knowledge of this world will pale in comparison. I don't know if there's any greater pursuit than to know the God in whom we serve and whom we love. The God in whom we love simply due to the fact that He first loved us. I don't know if there's any greater pursuit than that. And now Jesus is saying that through me, you can get as intimately as close to the Father as you desire to get and to know Him through His Word and the example in which I have given and the teaching in which I've rendered. One of my favorite scholars, Dr. Darrell Bach, who is an expert on the Gospel of Luke, he wrote this. The need exists to respond with care to Jesus' teaching, which comes with a promise. Respond brings more spiritual blessing in the sense of further revelation. But a threat is also made. Lack of response means even losing the spiritual insight that you have. For in Christ, neutrality is not a possibility. And I believe that is what Jesus is trying to communicate to all of us. The invitation is there for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ to open our heart and to our mind, to allow Him to transform our mind, and then for to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Allowing us to intimately uh, have a relationship with God the Father that beforehand was not possible but was always desired. Jesus making the way through the temple to the most holy of places as that curtain was ripped from top to bottom, inviting us in to that most sacred area, saying, come and fellowship with me through Christ. The promise of Hebrews stating that we as followers of Jesus Christ can enter boldly into the throne room of God in our times of need to find help in grace. This invitation of closeness, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. It goes on and on and on through His Word. So how do I allow myself to grow that close to God? By preparing your heart and mind before you read the Word of God. Preparing your heart to hear what God has to say. If it's hardened, allow God to plow up the fallowness of the hardened heart within you. If it is shallow, see past the emotions that create that shallowness with God and seek Him on the basis of faith 
situated on fact. If it is the cares of this world that are, are, are keeping you from that intimacy with God, then have trust in God to, to uh, supply and to perform and to make good on the promises that He has made to you to overcome the cares of this world. Prepare your heart beforehand. Let it be good soil to hear and to receive what God has to say. And there's no easy solution for this. It will take time, just as any good relationship uh, takes time to develop. You know, I thought that I loved my wife when her and I first got married. I realized I love her more today than I ever had before. Because now she knows what she's really getting and she still loves me. You know, it's not just that, you know, oh, he's such a prince, you know, before and the engagement and everything else. Now she knows the true Eric and she still says, I love you and I'll stay with you. And I'll make you a sandwich and cut off the crust. It's always a wonderful blessing. It takes time to cultivate that relationship with God. But how do I do it? Well, you do it through prayer. You do it through reading his word. And you will cultivate, cultivate that relationship with him, that deep, abiding, intimate relationship with God. And you know what you're going to find and discover? That God is so longing and looking forward to having that relationship with you. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't snuff out the light, the knowledge that you have. Don't hide it under a bed. This same knowledge, if not responded to in the manner of receiving Christ as your Savior, will become the same knowledge that will hold you accountable ultimately and judge you accordingly. And be warned that that information that you have, if you, des- if you have and desire more, it will be given to you. But if you're not even careful with what you do have and, and do snuff it out or do hide it under a bed, well... Even what you have will be taken away. Because we see next in verse 19 and quickly. But then his mothers and his brothers came to him. And yes, Mary and Joseph had children after Jesus. And they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told... Oh, your mothers and your brothers are standing outside and they desire to see you. But notice how Jesus answers. He answers them by saying, My mothers and my brothers are those who what? Hear the word of God and do it. To do it means to understand it. It means to apply it. It means to allow it to have its perfect work within you to bring about the change within you that God so desires to bring. Let us understand that God loves us so much that he doesn't desire to leave us the way he found us. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that God is so gracious and so caring and so loving, knowing our frailties and our flaws and our inconsistencies and allows grace to fill in the cracks where we break and are brittle before him. It is this that keeps me going as a Christian often. It's that simple knowledge of His grace and His understanding and His mercy. 
His love for me demonstrated through the giving of His only Son.